Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today, as our first episode for 2023, we're kind of doing a, we're, we're going to be talking about a movie that a lot of you may not have seen, but that it's fundamentally based in a question that's kind of at the heart and soul of everything we do here on Superhero Ethics. We're talking about Dread, not Judge Dread. We have traded up from Sylvester Stallone to Carl Urban, and we're talking about dystopia. We're talking about the use of force to deal with crime and and problems like that and the idea of fighting for order in a world of chaos and all the problems that can be regarding that whether you've seen the movie or not seen the movie there's a lot we can discuss because it's it's really about very universal topics to to comic book movies to superhero stories to all the rest of it so i've managed to get through this entire intro without using any of the bad puns that paul was probably dreading i would use so let's go Mm. to the commercials no reaction whatsoever Oh, I, uh, I like, you know, gave my best um, Geralt of <laughs> Rivia. <laughs> you gave me a Geralt of Rivia stare? That's fair. No, the, you know. <sighs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined by fairly frequent guest, Mr. Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? Uh, doing pretty good, yeah. I rewatched Dread last night, and I think I had pretty much the same feelings I had about it the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a movie about a lone man with a gun and a motorcycle and a helmet. Very importantly, a helmet against the world. But there's also a blonde who, you know, seems to be like, you know, I don't know. It, it's It's... I feel like there's a lot of tropes that it like really leans into and then often kind of pivots away from. Mm-hmm. Well, let me give a quick summary of the movie because a lot of folks may not have seen it or may not remember it. And we're not going to be talking about the exact details of the movie as much as just kind of the questions that it raises. But but the details are important. So the the movie is about a dystopia. We're told that most of America has been irradiated. And the what's now referred to as the megalopolis, the kind of mostly unending metropolitan area that starts in about Washington, D.C. and goes all the way along the uh, eastern seaboard up to Boston has become, in the sort of future post-apocalyptic uh, uh, time, called Mega City One. It's just this huge city, and crime is incredibly rampant. Um, murder, robbery, sexual assault, all these things are really terrible. And as frequently happens at a time of kind of just total desperation and like feeling like crime is overwhelming everyone the government has created a basically they've severely amped up what police can do to deal with it and there are now these things called judges and judges are basically hyper trained uh they have like all sorts of armor and incredible weapons i don't think they have superpowers but they have incredible training and and weapons and and armor and they are to be judge, jury, and executioner. And so they, their job is to go out and to deal with crime. And um, if a person, you know, they're, they're allowed to use lethal force quite freely to try and stop crime. But most importantly, if they, uh, you know, observe someone committing a crime that fits what is their, that this society standard for lethal violence, they are allowed to deliver a execution, a death sentence right there on the spot. And... On the one hand, they have to be very sure. So like when a, a psychic is thinks that something happened, she says with 99% certainty, they still won't do it. But it does seem to be a thing of like, 
if I saw it with my own eyes, then I know what happened without the sort of like, let's investigate for context kind of the stuff. And, and we can get into those details in a bit. But, it, but it's very much about a dystopian society where all this is happening. And then kind of funny, given what Paul and I have been talking about on other podcasts, because we've been saying like, it'd be kind of nice to have a movie where there isn't some great plot arc by the hero. There isn't some like major, like world changing event. It's kind of just a day in the life. That's really what this movie is. Our heroes, our heroes is a, a loaded term, which we'll definitely discuss as well. Our protagonists. Yes. Yeah, who is um, Dredd, who's the Carl Urban character, who keeps his helmet on the entire movie. Um, I think really kind of like, I, I have a sort of like, you know, Carl Urban grunted so that Pedro Pascal could tilt his head, you know? like <laughs> Yes. There's definitely a like, okay, Urban really did it pretty well. and uh, But he's paired with, uh, it's, it's a training day kind of a movie. He's paired with a rookie cop. It's her day to kind of see if she can be a judge or if she's going to get kicked out of the program. Um, she's young, she's blonde, she's pretty, and she doesn't wear a helmet because it interferes with her psychic abilities. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's yeah. That's the reason. You know, nothing at all. Uh, fair enough. And and yeah, she's a mutant, which they don't really explain much, but is a thing in the movie. And basically, they go in to deal with a problem that's happening, and it, they they realize they're actually dealing with one of the foremost drug gangs in the world. In it was very much of the Wire kind of like if you have watched the first couple of seasons of the Wire, and you know all about like the towers, like. Marlo Stanfield is watching the criminals in this and like applauding and being like, you, you have the right idea because um, they figure out the judges are there. They figure out the judges have captured a witness who could bring the whole thing down. Who is and, Avon Barksdale for the record? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Um, no, I mean, literally, that's what Harris. Say again. Literally, that's Wood Harris, the actor who played Avon Barksdale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. That that's I didn't even connect to that. Um. And so they, they shut down the whole sort of tower. It's like a, you know, a, a set of buildings that holds like thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. And then the whole movie is just our protagonists trying to both escape and or stay alive and or capture and take down this criminal gang that's that's doing all these terrible things. Um, and so here's my question, Paul, when I finished watching the movie, because this is a movie Paul's been trying to get me to watch for a long time. And I I enjoyed it. But I had one of those movies where I'm like, I don't know if I'm agreeing with the writers on this because I fundamentally walk away from this going, the judges are the bad guys. Like the criminals aren't good, but these judges are fundamentally making everything around them worse. Um, what, am I, is that what this movie is about? Is it supposed to be a commentary on overly aggressive police tactics? Is it supposed to be like most of us are cheering on Dredd and watching him blow these people up in horrible and terrible ways? Um what what was your take on like what's the movie actually trying to say? Because I was very confused. Yeah, I I think your confusion is uh, well warranted. You know, I I think it's interesting because uh, just to what you said earlier, the writer, the the screenwriter, um, actually said. I didn't think Dredd could have a great epiphany, but there's definitely a change in him over the course of the movie. You know, he makes a very clear statement at the beginning of the film, which he then contradicts at the end. But, you know, that's about as far as the shift goes. Do, do you um, mean in terms of that he doesn't think she'll pass the assessment and then passing her? Not that he doesn't think she'll pass. He says, if you lose control of your primary weapon, that's an automatic fail. She lost oh, yeah. control of her primary weapon, and she's like, yeah, I, I know I failed, but until the thing's over, like, I'm still going to, you know, do this, right? right. Um, so it's 
I think it's complicated, right? Because I think on the one hand, the story uh, of the the movie is it's very straightforward. Um, if you've seen The Raid, also, it's basically the same premise, right? Like, mm-hmm. you have these cops entering this building that then gets shut down, and they're trying to make it to, you know, the, the primary villain at the top. I do think that the movie is aware and to some extent is commenting on um, the... You know, the militarization of police, the, um, you know, uh, police killing people, the the justice system, you know, having justice in in quotes. And I think the original Dread, uh, Judge Dread comic from, I think, 2000 AD um, is the the thing that it's part of, um, which is British, by the way. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's a it's a British it's it's an american character but it's a it's a british story about american policing to some extent i think oh that's interesting you know and and then this film i believe was made in south africa actually interesting um, and and the writer of of the screenplay is also english as well mhm and so i do think there's a level of commentary on you know american policing and uh, you know some of the problems with it and and with the concept in general and you know you re- you referenced the government like i'm not sure there's a government like i th- there's there's this judge academy basically right there's like the right. judges and it, it seems like that is the government like basically which you know kind of raises the question like what is a government you know the idea that like most places can kind of only successfully have one government at a time, you know, um, I think there's this idea of like the consent of the governed being a thing that, I mean, I don't think exists. Like there's, there's no universal buy-in really anywhere and Mm -hmm. societies are not generally super opt in right on like a, a country level. Um, and I also think like silence is not consent. So I, I think when it comes to government and like what governments do, like, the way I look at it, which I feel like is actually kind of on display here, is that a government is an entity created by people and perpetuated by people that exerts influence over a larger number of people. Some of those people consenting to that government and some of them just like, I mean, you could say everyone's oppressed by it. But if if you consent to it, then I guess you could say, well, that's then that's not oppression, really. But right. like. But the point being here, there's this organization of judges that's just like, we're going to do this thing because it's what we do. And it does not seem to me like the population consents to this in in any fashion. You know, I think that's very true. And I think that's for me, that's one of the first things that really grabbed me. And I'll say all the stuff you said about consent and stuff like that. I'm so tempted to go into like a civics conversation here. But I I mean, no, that's a that's a long conversation there. I would say there, I, I agree of. with most of what you're saying. I think I just might frame it a little bit differently, but certainly sure. I think you're right in this in this setting, and, and that's part of why I, I I kept thinking about this in terms of like I don't think the judges are because he says at both the beginning and the end of the movie that what he sees his role as is like trying to bring order out of chaos, right? And I fundamentally don't think he's doing that. I think the judges are actually doing the opposite, and part of that is granted that we've had a whole lot of focus on police from a more sociological perspective and things like that 
since the time this movie was made and since especially since the original movie um but there's like four things here i'm wanting to say so let me actually go back a bit to the original movie the the first sure. movie was sylvester stallone oh, okay which, which i have I, not seen for the record Sure. I, I assume you don't mind if I spoil it, though. <laughs> right. I'm aware that he takes off his helmet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I've literally seen the end scene on YouTube or something. Yeah, I don't care about and it. I, I'm not going to watch it. I, I made a joke about Sylvester Stallone's acting. I think at times Sylvester Stallone can be a phenomenal actor. Sure. I think he's also one of the absolute best at phoning it in there is. And he right, learned right. early, like, oh, this is a part I care about. I'm going to really work at this acting. Or, okay, this is a paycheck. I'm going to phone it in. Yeah. Judge Dredd is a phoned-in movie, but where I'm going with that is the way that movie was marketed. That movie was coming out at a time when, um, you know, the po- the cultural zeitgeist was very much in a place of crime is bad, drugs are bad, violence is bad, and so any and all things that we do to stop it, even things that seem like downright sadistic and terrible, are totally okay. And you know, Lethal Weapon was a really popular set of movies about a cop who wouldn't play by the rules because the, the rules were stopping him from truly fighting crime. And by the way, most of that crime, of course, being done by people of color with the one movie where there's South Africans, which is a whole other thing. But like that whole like Reagan Giuliani zeitgeist was very much there and it went on into the 90s and, and certainly is now still very much here today. But I think today, at least large parts of our society are much more critical about it. When Judge Dredd came out, the parts of our society that were critical about it were certainly there, but a lot quieter and not being paid attention to. And I don't remember much about the movie, but I specifically remember that, like, I, you know, the the way it was marketed was crime is a disease and he's the cure. Like, you were supposed to be cheering him on as he violently, sadistically killed these bad people. Um, I'm using quote marks with my fingers, which is bad mm-hmm. radio. But mm-hmm. you know, you know what I mean? Like, and... I think part of why I was so hesitant to see this movie is because of that. Because I like I didn't think about this much as a kid when I watched it, but thinking about it today, I was like, I don't want to watch a movie about how cool it is that a, a person, a cop, gets to use horrific levels of violence in order to to stop crime. Uh, when like yeah, like this, and so when I watched this movie, like I said, I kept wondering, is the writer understanding the criticism they're doing? And I I think they were, and like as you said, and again, I also wonder to what extent it's. Like, the writer had an idea of being social commentary, but somewhere in the process, they also were like, okay, but let's also give the audience what they want in terms of all the cool explosions and stuff like that. Because fundamentally, and this goes to where I started from, your point about the the consent, one of the things I'm really struck by is no one in this building in which they're living horrible lives, to be clear. Like, the person, uh, a woman named Mama who runs the gang, the gang is called the Mama Gang, like... She thinks that the judges are on one side of a floor of the, like, the quad- quadrilateral of the building. And she just uses machine guns to kill, like, two dozen people while trying to get the the gang, the, the, the judges. Like, she, it's a reign of terror. And yet everyone there is like, well, you judges aren't here to help. Even the people who run the medical center, who are kind of neutral and different from it, are like, I- I'm not going to help you. Y- you're already dead. I can't help you. I don't want to help you. And... So to me, what all that goes to is I'm seeing it through the lens of New York City and Giuliani and now George Floyd and all this stuff, where one of the things I think that's really come out is that one of the biggest reasons why, like, there is such horrible breakdown in relationships between cops and the communities they are, in theory, supposed to be protecting is that cops don't treat those communities as ones they're members of and want to help. 
they act like invading armies, you know, with mm-hmm. all the military technology and seeing the people as the enemy. And this movie is like all of that to, to times a million, you know? Um, this has been a long rant. I'll, I'll let you j- jump in here. But just to say, like, to, I think that was why, to me, the movie was so interesting, but also so, like, I wonder what the writer is doing and how much the writer realizes what they're doing. I think they completely realize what they're doing. Um, I think they also are doing, you know, as we talked about in Desperado, you know, kind right. of trying to have it both ways, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just in terms of like the, the original movie, it came out in 95, right? Which was one year after, you know, Newt Gingrich and his like contract with America, like, you know, yep. calling it a contract with America is like basically implying that. It's like that there's some kind of consent, right? And like disagreement. Yep. And and then they started, you know, doing all these horrible mandatory minimum sentences. And um, that was that was right around when um, Giuliani, right? And and yep. Bill Bratton in, in New York were, were <laughs> and it's it's interesting because like the New York that we grew up in as little kids, like was there. I mean. I mean, I lived in Hell's Kitchen, you know, yeah. like, and it, it, it was called that not just like arbitrarily. It's like there there were a lot of murders, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because I actually grew up in um, these buildings called Manhattan Plaza that were like these two towers that were, um, you know, like this village within a city that actually kind of reminds me. I mean, it wasn't at all like it was like the opposite of this peach trees here that, you know, the mama clan like runs. But, um, you know, this idea of like you can basically have like a city within a city, you know, in a building. Um, And I think that the movie like it definitely I think it wants you to like dread root for dread but also understand that the whole thing is just super messed up mm-hmm. and that a lot of what he's doing. And um, at one point, there's there's this one dude who who's shooting at um, at uh, Dredd and um, Anderson. Right. And. Um, oh, that's pretty funny. Her name is Cassandra Anderson. Um, and in my notes, I say that um, she totally, you know, she Cassian Andor's this guy in the face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, those have a lot of the same letters. But uh, then later she sees like that this guy, they're basically helped a little bit by, um, by this woman, right? Who has like mm-hmm. a baby in the next room or whatever. And then she sees a photograph that like, that dude was like probably the father of that child and was like this this woman's partner and and she just shot him in the face you know while he was i think pleading for his life yeah and and that this woman it, like there's no question even like that maybe he was an absent father or something the woman is saying like look my husband's out there i know he's trying to kill you i'm very worried for him yeah. the only reason i'm helping you is so that you don't get into a fight and kill my husband Right. And you get and, and, you know, and so there's not gunfire here that kills me or my baby and whatever. Right. right? But like, yeah, she's she's trying to protect her family. She's not like I am helping you law people. You know, she's like, please leave as quickly as possible without incident. Um, 
And so, you know, clearly that's some level of commentary on, you know, it's it's kind of the Desperado's equivalent of like, you know, everybody I've killed has been somebody's brother, somebody's father, somebody's kid, mm-hmm. you know. And, but at the same time, you know, the movie does like spectacularly glorify extreme violence, right? Yeah. While also vilifying the same from, you know, the other characters who are a mix of just horrible, horrible people who are very clearly sadistic, malicious, and, you know, trying to um, just do harm because... yeah pretty much just because they're they're selfish and and horrible um but also even those characters it's like you can see like some of them were victims of others and mama was a victim of um of someone else before she became who she was you know Mm -hmm. um and so i i think there is a level of commentary on those structures and kind of how people become violent when they become violent. Um, But at the same time, it's like, that's, it's not a very deep level of that, right? Like it's there, it's an undertone and it's an implication, but it's not like the overriding theme. Yeah. I mean, this feels to me very similar, but like in much broader strokes than uh, to the wire, you know, in that, Mm -hmm. The Wire had the same idea of the the problem is these systems and no one crusader cop and no one like, you know, drug dealer who wants to like clean up the system. Like none of them are ever going to make any difference because the system is so fundamentally built to keep everything in place or to make things keep getting worse. And like, I think that's definitely because, like I said, I think that in some ways that's why I really like that there isn't any big societal change that happens at the end of this movie. Right. Like, there's no sense that there won't just be another mama who comes along to replace mama. Yeah. Or that anyone in, the, in, in this world has learned a lesson of like maybe we shouldn't do these criminal things. Like the, the judges are just as much – in some ways actually people have learned even to trust the judges even less because we found there were some corrupt judges who wind up getting to a fight with our protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it it's very much the wire, but as I think you said, it's on a much more shallow level. Yeah, and you know, and I mean, it's a ninety-five minute movie. That's like you know a kind of an action with like some yeah. suspense thriller kind of elements, right? And you know, I mean, you're you're just not going to get the same depth in in an action movie that you would get in you know fifty episodes of you know some of the greatest television ever made. But <laughs> you I know, mean, the wire is very hard to watch, and a lot of people just who really love good television i've just not watched the wire or watch an episode or two because it's there isn't a good guy there isn't a like someone to root for it's all about these flawed people and i love that but like this is a much more you know i'm not gonna call it commercially successful because it's just such a different kind of market but i feel like this is made to be much more mass market yeah i I think so i mean it definitely it wasn't commercially successful right i mean it it barely earns back its production budget it it did become you know a cult classic and oh that's interesting uh, you know post-release um but you know it was a relatively small movie i mean this is this is a b film right in terms of just in terms of budget it's it's the type of mid-market film that i feel like we don't see nearly as much of anymore and i think Mm -hmm. that's unfortunate you know i feel like now they would be like a movie like this it either has to be you know nine figures 
or it or it doesn't get made or it's like, you know, a fan film, you know, whereas right. this was like 35 to 40 million in 2013. So maybe that's closer to like 50 million now or something. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I think it it didn't quite. I think it's it achieved what it set out to achieve, like as a movie, uh, if not commercially, you know, where I don't think it was aspiring to be some like super deep uh, social commentary with um, with uh, really detailed characters. Right. Mm -hmm. I think. But I do think that there's a decent amount beneath the characters without, um, you know, I mean, I think the performances are really good. I think if if it was if if the performances were weaker, it could actually just be a legitimately bad movie. Um, there's some cleverness, you know, there's the, there's the four corrupt judges who one of them's like, Oh, I'll, you know, I'll see her. And if I see her first, I'll shoot her. And if she sees me first, I'll, she'll hesitate and then I'll shoot her. And like, um, you know, speaking of superheroes, Anderson actually is a superhero, right? She's a mutant who has psychic powers and she sees her and, and the, the, I'm going to say super powered individual. I'm still not there with a the hero word, but yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. fair, 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 fair. Totally. Um, and this, um, you know, superpower, super, super villain, like whatever. Um, <laughs> the, but the corrupt judge is like, lower your weapon rookie. And she's like. No, you you want to kill me? I'm just going to shoot you, and then she just shoots her. You know, right? Because um, that's how they do things, and I I don't think we're meant to be like, oh, this is a good way of doing things. You know, yeah. uh, whereas I think we are meant to think Judge Dredd is very good at doing things this way, mm-hmm. and does you know learn to kind of make little exceptions, <laughs> yeah. but like really little, you know. I- I mean, for me, here's the thing, and and maybe I misunderstood at what happens at the very end, but there's a thing that he does at the end that really is like, nope, he's he's the same person. Um, and early in the movie, what starts the the reason for the judges to go there is that the Mama gang at, at the order of Mama herself executes a couple of people, and and their deaths are very public, and that's why the judges go to investigate. And yeah, they skins them alive and then drops slow-mo. them off two hundred stories. Yes, yes. Well, and the thing is, it's not only that he pushes them off 200 stories, it's that they've invented a drug called slow-mo, right. which basically makes it feel like time is slowed down for you. Yeah. And they specifically, like, inject these people with this drug for the sole purpose of torture, of, of having that experience of falling to your death be drawn out to, like, 100 times as long. Yeah. That's not why they invented the drug. That's no, 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 yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The drug is meant to be a fun drug, right? right. Uh, or, but like, yeah, but they 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 give it to them for the sole purpose of torture these people that are going to kill, right? Marlo Stanfield would be like, yes, good on you, I like this, um, right? Right. Mar- Marlo Stanfield is a very sadistic person from the uh, from the Wire, the later seasons. Um, at the end, not surprisingly, in a very kind of like you know. You, you get what you give. Uh, Dread winds up pushing Mama over the edge, so she falls in exactly the same way, and he injects her with the drug, which, to me, is like it, again that that felt to me again very much more like the 1990s. Like I'm going to make this person suffer the exact way she made other people suffer, um, which to me was very much the like this is where me in the movie, uh, and or maybe the movie is being critical of it as well. But is that this is no way about crime prevention. This is no way about like change. This is 100% about vengeance, about mm. these people do bad things. And so they have to be punished. And 
in that way, I think if that's what the writers intended, which I think I, I think I agree with you that it was, it's brilliant commentary. Yeah. But it's such a perfect way of showing, like, yes, Dredd is getting a little, he's changing a little bit, but he still fundamentally sees his job as not only to like stop these people, but to punish them. And and yeah. to me, that's like the, you know, I mean, there are libraries of, of papers written on how the fundamental problem with the caracal justice system we have is that the goal is vengeance and punishment, not reform or change or, or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the... You know, th- he's literally like, this is the sentence, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it is very, um, I mean, <laughs> harsh is not, is not really an appropriate word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that does feel like it's a, a sort of add-on, um, uh, just like extra sort of vindictive, uh, vengeful thing to do. I I did the first time I saw it kind of felt like maybe the idea was also that like somehow that, you know, like slows down how quickly she'll die from because I think she's bleeding. Right. I think he shoots mm-hmm. her first. Um, and so that like then she won't. Like her heart won't stop before she falls to the bottom, but I, I, I think that was just kind of um, a generous reading. I don't think that's actually yeah. in there. You know, I, I think it is just like, oh yeah, you did this to other people. Now that you know, that's how you die. Um, right. I want you to suffer. Yeah, and I, I think that's the sort of thing that I think is often very appealing to people on a on a personal level, right? Yeah. In terms of like wanting to see someone suffer who has caused so much harm. Um, and I think just an extremely poisonous idea to have associated with anything that you're trying to call a justice system or law enforcement or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I so, think the way you said yeah. that is so important because, like, if I'm to claim that, like, I would never feel that, there's a reason why I've watched the video of... Dave Chappelle calling Elon Musk up on stage and the whole audience booing louder than you almost ever hear a bunch of times. Like I have schadenfreude as much as anybody else. Um, it's, it's a, I think you're saying it really well. It's that when you build a governmental system of justice on that idea of vengeance, like instead of it just being like, you, you know, and this was it, we go way, way back into the archives. The discussion we had on Desperado was exactly the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, there is something satisfying. And when you're looking to have fun fun about watching you know bad people get their just desserts um but it still can be all like but when it becomes a, like this is how the cop should act this is how the justice system should act oof we're, we're in bad territory there yeah absolutely there's a lot of things that like i think can be like oh well that's not a good thing for an individual to do you know mm-hmm. um and maybe even awful but like then when you codify it and um you know, put it as part of a system and say, no, th- this isn't like not a great thing to do. This is the right thing to do. It's like right. that now, instead of like being one act, it becomes part of a system that will perpetuate that act into similar acts going forward, you know, in perpetuity. Right. <laughs> and like that's extra bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it just it feeds the cycle and continues. Right, exactly. Um, one thing about like the the setting kind of mm-hmm. was that I did actually feel like 
this was deliberately made to look kind of like an 80s hellscape, you know, like with like, like there's the skateboarding and just the way, just the overall vibe felt very 80s to me a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, there's like the one, there's this like homeless dude, like at the entrance to the building that Dread is like, you know, oh, this is, uh, you know, the the penalty for this is something like five years or, or something insane, I think. Yeah. In, in um, isocubes. In an isocube. Prison sound, isocubes sound worse. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Although I, I, I've actually had this thought since watching Andor that there is an element of the horror of um, U.S. prisons that is absent from that, that also would be absent from isocubes. Um mm. Where, I mean, I think a lot of the horror of the prisons in our own world are the interactions between inmates and how it almost feels like there is, a, you know, an attitude of everybody being against each other. It almost mm. feels like that's fostered, you know? I, I agree with you, but I'd also point out that, like, in those prisons, the thing they do to prisoners when they want to really punish them is solitary confinement. Yeah, and, and of, I think at the end of the day, part of that is like, what are the actual conditions of that solitary confinement? How right. much can you move? How much light is there? Like, you know. Yeah. Um, is it sensory deprivation or is it like, if you lock me in like a dorm room with, with a library, like I'm good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, but if you put me in a box I, I where right. I can't I stand up straight, <laughs> that's torture. We know so little about what those icy cubes are. I think, right. though, that when they use that phrasing specifically, we're not meant to think this is in any way better. We're meant I, to agree. Think this I agree. I agree. I agree. Yes. This is this is totally a tangent. My bad. Um, but I just loved the, the, the dude's sign. It says, mm -hmm. will debase self for credits. Oh, I didn't even catch that. That's so Yeah. Weird. Which to me, that just feels like that. that's a, a sign that... Clearly, the movie gets something and is trying to say something, right? Yeah. And then when they come back, Dred's like, oh, you're still here? Okay, we're going to actually, you know, now get the paddy wagon for you. And then then Mama closes the doors and the door literally crushes the guy. Um, which, I mean, seems worse than an isocube, but, like, it's not like anybody was offering, like... Oh, come with us and we'll make sure you get like a bed and a warm, you know, a warm meal. Yeah. Or is it a yeah, a hot meal and a warm bed? I don't know. Whatever. Something better than, you know, having to sit outside peach trees and potentially get crushed by the blast doors. Yeah. No, I think that's so true. And it's funny. I hadn't thought of it until you said that. But I think that in another way is part of the commentary because like going back to when Judge Dredd was made. Again, I, I don't want to speak, say anything about the comics and, and when it was made or, mm -hmm. or its context. One of the biggest parts of that whole, like, tough on crime, crime is the problem, which does continue to this day, but especially was really big in the 80s and 90s, was this belief that cities, especially the quote-unquote inner city, or the, the, the word that was often used, the ghetto, both terms I think we, we, we are recognizing today how incredibly racially coded those phrases are and how racist they were. But, like, that was the thing, and, like, a lot of it was about, like, getting suburban people and more rural people to be utterly afraid of the cities. Yeah. And... That to me, like that image of the urban hellscape is very much a part of that, you know, and mm -hmm. like there's all these studies that have been done that like on the news, like you'd see that all the time. You'd never see like kids playing in a park the way all these cities had, even in the poorest areas, you know, yeah. all, or like a playground or whatever it is. You wouldn't see the good side of city life. You'd just see that urban hellscape. And that's another one of the times where it's like, I don't know if they're doing that to like feed into 
the still like fear of like urbanization that exists or to be a commentary on it. But either way, it's very much it's effective. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I'll leave it. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. You and I are both people who grew up in cities, so I think I have a very different perspective on that. Right. Oh, yeah. I was going to say there's, I mean, it feels like there's this big resurgence of that, right? That that mm-hmm. kind of, that was a huge deal for a while. And then it felt like it was less of a deal for a while. And mm-hmm. then now, you know, on your sort of right wing bingo card, you have like Chicago, right? Yep. And like, you know, Portland. And it's like they, they're acting like, you know, I mean, granted, there are plenty of bad things going on in cities. That is true, right? But there's also plenty of community and plenty of good things going on in cities as well. Like cities are just places. And yeah. th- there is a difference between cities and, and suburbs and, and rural areas. But it's not this like, the, it, it's it's not the way it is um, demonstrated most of the times, you know. I, I live here in Minneapolis. Uh, I, I live just outside of Minneapolis, but I go into the city quite often. And, you know, I lived here during George Floyd and when there were the, 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 the protests and the police violence and, and, and the counterviolence and all of that. I would talk to people who are, you know, were, were very much on the side of BLM and stuff like that. And they thought just from the stuff they've been hearing in the media that like half the city was just burned down. Right. And, or that it was that, that that my situation, like someone was asked, like, yeah, are you getting smoke the way they get like the California wildfires? And like, because I remember you talking about like how much smoke you dealt with when you live in California. And like, yeah, because I was so close, we got a teeny bit. But th- this idea that half the city burned down, there's one street, one like main urban thoroughfare that like a couple of miles of it, like a lot of the buildings were really badly damaged or just and like there's maybe like five or six buildings that were completely destroyed. Um, it was nowhere near what it was made out to be. Yeah, I think part of that is because let's say you come from an area where, you know, the not urban, but the kind of downtown area of a town is a certain size. And then you see the amount of destruction that there is in a given city. Like, right. and you try and superimpose that on, you know, a town of 10,000, 20,000 people. Well, that's a much bigger percentage. Like, cities are vast, right? Yeah, if Main like, Street is burned down in a small town, then yeah, that is 30 to 50% of the buildings in the town. Right. Whereas if it's one block, two blocks, three blocks in a city, it's like, eh, that's, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing. I mean, maybe it isn't a bad thing, but that's that's its own whole thing. But, like, I'm just saying in terms of scope and in terms of percentage and in terms of, like, how big of an impact that has on all of the people living there. It's like, it's generally much smaller than, um, than what is perceived because they're not showing like pictures. They're not showing footage of all the areas that aren't that area, right? All the areas where that's not what's going on. Like that's not, that's not getting equal coverage. I want to talk about the way the movie is made. Cause I think for me, there's kind of two fundamental questions about the movie that I have. One of which is about the way the movie is made, but first let's just kind of put a bow on this. Cause I think we're on the same page, but I wanted to kind of like hear you say it directly. Like the movie is positing this horrific situation of like, you know, social breakdown and, and people being in danger all the time and all these things happening. Am I right in saying that? I think that, that the movie, the, you come away from the movie going, you know, Dredd himself might be having some good ideas, although also all this vengeance, but the judges are not helped. Like, this is not a solution that is justified or actually is helpful in this, like, horrific dystopian society. Is that is that where you come down? Yeah, that's... I, yes, and I feel like the movie is very 
loosely saying that. Yeah, agreed. You know, like basically, Judd, uh, Dredd is a good guy in a bad system who buys into the system, but the system doesn't really do exactly what maybe the system should do, you know? Right. Or like maybe it shouldn't exist at all. But I think there's there's also some stats early on when he talks about like 17,000, you know, serious crimes or violent crimes are reported every day. We can only respond to 6% of those. And, mm-hmm. you know, I do think like when you think about these, you know, huge problems that exist, there's there aren't like really easy solutions most of the time right i mean right. there's some things like oh you know like yeah okay i i think everybody should have health care and like i think universal basic income would be fantastic if if you have things structured a certain way right but yeah, like me, the fundamental statistic is that the building has 96 percent unemployment like right judges don't fix that like right you know, economic exactly fixes that yeah yeah no, no law enforcement offers no solution to the, the real problems of that world, right? right? And you can say, okay, an individual judge can go somewhere and try and, you know, prevent um, a murder or probably not prevent a murder because they're just avenging and then that doesn't really lead anywhere, you know? Um, but, like, theoretically, they can go to a place and try and stop or... No, I think at the end of it, it just feels useless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it feels to me like it's a setting where there's no good solutions. And certainly the judges don't offer any solutions. But within the context of what they're doing, Dredd does a good job of doing the thing that he's doing. But like, mm-hmm. it, it's also just kind of one of those like throw your hands up in the air and like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I mean, th- feel like th- I would want to see Matt Murdock show this movie to Frank Castle. Right. Like, yeah, with the yeah. hope that, like, Frank, by the end of it, being like, uh, okay, well, maybe, maybe that's, that's too far. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah. But I do, I mean, I think Frank Castle would like the movie and would not necessarily take away the same things we're taking away. Because I do think the movie, it kind of implies and puts those things out there. But it also, I think, makes it very easy to just enjoy it as, like, a shoot 'em up with, like, mm-hmm. a, oh, yeah, maybe I'll think about, oh, yeah, he tossed her out the window and time's going so slow, ha, 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 you know? Well, and um, that is right there, the second question I think the movie asks, which is, like, because this is, this is a question that, like, we've had about the Joker movie, we've had about Fight Club, we've had about something else that I know I think you want to bring up, so I'm not going to mention, um, but where, like, when you're the point of your movie is to be kind of very critical of this thing, but in order to show the thing that you're being critical, you show it in a way that a lot of people are gonna feel like, yeah, that's awesome, glorify that. Like, right. have you done your job, or is there like a problem? Like, I don't, I don't think it's a movie's job to make a point. I think like if you make a movie and you make money, like, and that's the art you want to put out in the world, or just the money making thing you want to put out in the world, good for you. I'm not, I'm not gonna hold you to a higher standard. But, but I think there's an interesting question when, like, you, you put out a movie that is both very critical of something, but if you're not really looking carefully, you're going to totally miss that and actually have the opposite response. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think when you're trying to tell a story, your job is to tell a story, mm-hmm. you know? 
And I mean, sure, in terms of, you know, the capitalistic view of it, your job is to make a money uh, and they didn't make a money. I, I don't know. I don't know why I said it that way. But like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, they, they didn't have a, a high like return on investment. Right. But I, I do think at the end of the day, um, you know, as a as a storyteller, it's like, well, what story are you trying to tell? And like, did you tell that story well? And I, I feel like they told the story well, you know, and I think one of my least favorite things um, is when a movie's like, this is the message. And it's like, by the way, did you did you get the message? Can, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a character say the message and then someone else is going to be like, no, but that's not the thing. And they'll be like, yes, this is the message. And then like just is it, so overtly having a um, like an agenda that's that's just like that, it's hard to tell a good story that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I and there are cases where you can do it well when you know if your if your story is literally about like a political protest like okay now it's pretty reasonable for you to have characters talking about whatever the thing is they're protesting right, right. and raising different points and whatever um but there's there's a lot of circumstances where it's like well that's that's probably not going to make a great action movie you know um and i think when it comes to like action movies and and stories that are you know action stories or adventure stories i feel like really the best you can do is is put things out there for people to pick up on and then they kind of either do or they don't mm-hmm. um you know but at the same time like yeah i mean if your main goal is to like make one particular point and you make a story or some other piece of art that like can easily be interpreted as the opposite and then like people are going to take away the opposite. Like I would say you, you haven't succeeded in that goal. You know, yeah. you've def you've muddied the waters and, and maybe you've exceed succeeded in the opposite goal. You know, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. And I think a lot of it comes down to like, I, I think I look at this a little more harshly when I, or at least a little more critically when it feels like part of your goal is to be critical of other kinds of media. Mm, um, yeah. You know, and, and like, I think in some ways, this movie is fairly critical of the lethal weapons and even the original movie and like this, that whole genre of like rah-rah cops go do the terrible things to the people of color and the poor people because like that's our societal vengeance against them. And and yeah, so I think like, like we talked about that during uh, Desperado that it felt like fitting but also a little bit like kind of ha- trying to have it both ways that you've got this movie about Antonio Banderas. Here he's doing it more in like funny than like gruesome ways but still it's like yep that bad guy died that bad guy died he deserved to die he deserved to die oh but by the way all of them have like a father and a mother or a son or right. something like that yeah yeah um yeah like, like but it's weird because yeah i don't think this movie would have been as good if it had had a that kind of a point you know like if you'd had the rookie at the end you know there's a great moment where she has to perform uh at, at what we were just talking about where she has to literally murder the the person who is begging for his life the who turns out is the partner of the woman they they stay with and she hesitates at first and when she performs the sentence when she executes him uh, under dread's orders because that's what her job is you can see that it affects her yeah and by the end of the movie she still wants to be a judge and i feel like you could have had her be like oh i think that like this is a waste you know her make the she could have made the point of the movie and said we're not helping i can't do this i quit and 
on the one hand, I think that would have made that would have better made the point, but it also wouldn't have felt real. Um, yeah. And so I'm torn because I, I feel that, but then I also do think like movie went pretty far into gratuit, you know, into like glorifying yeah, and making it really easy for someone to totally miss the point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there are I think three other instances where they um, let someone else go, or may, maybe it's two. Because um, mm-hmm. there, there's the one, there's there's the guy who's um, I think it's Bill Weasley, right? No, um, who is like he's like the tech guy who's it turns out is right. basically working under threat of death, you know, and torture. Um, and I I think they took his eyes out and put in some kind of like um, cybernetic replacements or something, and. Um, you know, and she she lets him go, and she's like, he was a you know, he's a victim, not a a, yeah. a villain or however she says it. But then also, dread like he has some kind of like stun thing for the these two like <laughs> right. teenagers, right? It's like, oh, he's he's not going to kill the teenagers, okay? Uh, and and so it it does seem like there's, I mean, for her, there's there's actually she has the character arc, right? right. Where. Um, it seems like she wants to do this because they stuck her in the academy when she was nine, you know? <laughs> it's like it's what she knows. But she also maybe thinks she can do better, mm-hmm. right? And, like, the idea of doing something totally separate outside the system maybe doesn't really occur to her. Maybe because, you know, there's just not a lot of opportunity for that. Um yeah. But she is willing to kind of first she makes the call like, yeah, OK, I'll shoot this guy in the face because I guess it's what I'm supposed to do. And Dred's telling me to do that. Um, and then she's like, I'm not going to shoot this guy in the face because, you know, because I've read his mind and I, I know this, that and the other. Um, and so it, it just, you know, at the end, she does want to be a judge um, and she, she's like learned a lot about what it means. Right. Which isn't great things um but like you know maybe it's the sort of thing where it's like well if somebody else is gonna do it anyway maybe i can do it not as bad you know yeah um and yeah i don't know (laughs) there's the just the one line i just wanted to quote where you know he's like are you ready and she's like yeah and he's like you don't look ready and then later he's like you look ready (laughs) something And it's like she's changed, right? Like that experience of this whole thing has been uh, a, a character, you know, moment for her. Yeah. Like she she has developed as a person. And, and in some ways, that's kind of the tragedy of the movie because, like, I don't think that's good. Like, I think right. her being horrified at the idea of shooting this unarmed person, like, good, you know? Um, right. And, and the teen, the thing with the stun weapon also really struck me because, like, there's a part of me that's like, well, why aren't you stunning everybody? Right. Um, And... Her line about, you know, well, this guy's a victim. On the one hand, part of what it reminded me of was like, yeah, this is why actually cops giving some thought to the context of people before they start shooting is a good idea. Let's have more of that, please. Um, we don't have psychics in our own world, but you know my point. But it also struck me as very innocent because with the exception of Mama and maybe not even her, as you said, all the people they kill are victims. All right. the people they kill, like you said, 96% unemployment. Like, yeah. and there are times where mama says, like, if, if I don't, if I find out that you weren't helping to kill these judges, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Like, all the people who the, who the judges are going after and are going after the judges are victims too. And 
I'm not mad at the movie for it. I think it's actually a really good point. It felt the way that like we only care about someone when we know their motives, but then we assume that like everyone else doesn't have good motives because we don't know what their motives are. Mm. That that to me felt very real and like a. I, I, again, I don't even know if that commentary was intentional, but it definitely came through. Yeah, I think it definitely was. I mean, I, I think there was definitely supposed to be a you know a subtext of everybody has their own story, right? Yeah, and everybody's affected by all of the the circumstances around them and and nobody thinks they're the villain right or right. they at least you know um i mean i saw wood harris was basically saying like yeah when i was playing this character like you know he doesn't think he's a villain or at least he doesn't think he's worse than the judges you know mm-hmm. and it's like maybe he's not worse than the judges i mean he does literally skin some people alive and toss them off of a railing which like i I don't know. Like, I kind of feel like that's worse than at least anything except for, you know, giving Mama the slow motion thing and then tossing her off, you know? Well, and like, Wood Harris is the um, uh, Avon Barksdale actor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do think they had him do something worse. And frankly, it was one of the only parts of the movie that I really oh, didn't yeah. like because it, it felt kind of exploitative, which is that um, basically because he figures out that the rookie – remind me her name? Anderson. Anderson. Because he figures out that Anderson, the rookie, who, as we said, is an attractive young woman, can read his mind, he starts thinking these very violent thoughts about uh, sexually assaulting her in an attempt to shock her. And right. It, or it's to not distract quite her, Game really. of Thrones level by any means, but like definitely like we see like a second or two of it happening. And it just like... I, I do think that that makes him... That, that was supposed to be made mm. to be like, no, he's one of the real bad ones. But also, it was like, really? Did you have to do that? Like, yeah. Post Game I of mean, Thrones, I, I don't think that scene's in there, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have missed it. Right, right. Um, I, I mean, I, I feel like the, that was one of two times when it, it felt to me like I thought they were going to go a certain way, and then they, they pivoted. You know, mm-hmm, where, that's true. um, where they basically have her be like, oh, well, that so that's what you want to put in my mind. Now I'll put this in your mind, you know, right. Um, and pretty much, you know, kind of like outplays him there. I, you know, I mean, yeah, it's I, I don't know. I. I feel you, you know, yeah, um, I, I don't feel exactly the same. I feel like it could have gone in a direction where I would be have the same same feeling about it that you do. But I felt like um, it kind of pivoted away from that or into it went there and then went somewhere else that I felt like justified that Um, then and then further um, in terms of like, you know, her character, um, he then does get the jump on her. I don't think through that. I think it's like some other people are like distract them or whatever. Um, It didn't really make sense to me why he got the jump on the psychic. But yeah, go on. Right. Well, no, it uh, so it. Uh, I mean, I think her power has to be used deliberately on, at a person. I think it's targeted. Yeah, I don't think she's like pre. I don't think she has precognition. She can read people's minds, you know. Um, so she's a telepath, right? And right. Um, and when there's other, I think there's other people firing at them, and then he he gets her weapon away from her. Now, I. I do. I, it is a little bit like, well, why does she go with them at gunpoint when if she knows the thing about her gun, right? Um, But, like, anyway, my point being that, yes, I agree that that kind of her getting kidnapped or whatever was a little bit, like, 
wait, how does this really make sense? Um, and and just felt like they kind of wanted it to go that way. And then it feels right. like Dread is coming to rescue her, right? Yeah. Um, and then it turn you know, but then they turn it around and actually she ends up saving Dread. Um, which where where um Dread basically, you know, loses the fight to to Lex, the head corrupt judge, because he's out of ammo because he's been fighting all day. Um right. and he's like, wait, and Lex is like me wait he's like wait for what wait for so you can enjoy your last few dying moments and then she comes out and shoots him and he's like wait for her to shoot you yeah (laughs) and and i i just i thought that that was a nice kind of subversion of the trope of like her getting damseled or whatever and and then i also enjoyed that it's like you know it's a movie with you know, a male lead and a female lead, and it's it's not romantic. There's not like any nothing of that, yeah, at all. You know, and it's just like this is training day, and it's like one of them happens to be male and the other happens to be female, and it's just you know it's training day, and right without and, the and, and so I him being that. super corrupt. But yes, I agree with what you're saying. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except he's dread and not Lex, and you know, yeah. then it would be training day if if she was Lex's exactly. apprentice, right? But yeah, it just in in that terms of like that's the relationship, right? It's the you know the, the mm-hmm. cop and then the rookie cop on you know the first day out, basically. Well, and just pulling it back to the question that we 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 we, we eh. just pulling it back to the question that I asked a little while ago, also in terms of like what the movie is doing. And I thought this is what you were going to bring up, because I think you, you mentioned a couple of times, maybe I'd misunderstood you. One of the things that make, what for me, the thing I will always think about in terms of this, like, what happens when you are critiquing something, but also doing the thing you're critiquing as part of that is yeah. Hunger Games. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, the books are, and I don't think it hits you over the head too much, at least in the books, maybe a little bit more in the movie, but it's meant to be a critique of the kind of glorification of, like, watching, like, young people, like, fight with each other and things like that. And uh, and kind of our um, a lot of things like that. And so when they made in, in the books, there's not the fight scenes are very briefly described because the whole point is like we're not supposed to be like enjoying the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. And the director of the movie, at least the first movie, had that as a very particular aim in mind of I and, and he said in a quote, I, I mentioned this a bunch of times before, but like I don't want kids to walk out of the movie and want to reenact the fight scenes. Right. And um. I don't think Hunger Games did that perfectly by any means, especially in the later movie. But to me, it did kind of set a standard. And so that that is what I always think about when I think about movies like this. And I think, yeah, I don't I think there are definitely like I've seen some movies that are like in theory about like, you know, sexual exploitation and all the scenes take place in strip clubs with a lot of focus on like people writhing in very little clothing as a way of being like, look, sexual exploitation is bad and you're definitely not paying the money to like watch the sexual exploitation on screen. Uh, n- not that sex work is, but th- there's a whole other com- conversation there. Sure. You understand what I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, and I don't think this movie is that bad by any means. But I do think that, like, I, I-, I think the way you described it is perfect. Like, it-, it has a message, and the message is interesting, but it's not, n- no one sat down and said, I need you to give me this money because I need to tell this message. I need the world to be better. They thought, let's make a fun movie based off of a really interesting story. And yeah, we're going to have some commentary in there. And if people miss the commentary, that's fine. Cause we're, it's still a good, it's a good story. Yeah. Give or take, you know, um, I, I do think that the hunger games, like I respect that. That's like what they were trying to do. You know, uh-huh. I, it's still to me, it, it, it doesn't really feel different 
to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It, it, I didn't feel that they really did what they set out to do necessarily. You know, mm-hmm. like That's fair. it, it still felt like it was, yeah, it's supposed to be a critique of this thing, but it's like, it, it is also still the thing, you know? Right. Um, and I feel like, I'm not sure how much dread is a critique of action movies as much as of, you know, sort of policing and particularly yeah. like U S policing. Um, but it definitely, it does feel like it's, you know, setting out to kind of say one thing while also doing the other. That's kind of like really at cross purposes to that. You know, like I wouldn't be shocked if I heard from someone. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, I had kind of thought about being a cop. But when I saw Dread, like it made me more want to do that, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I could also see someone having kind of the opposite response. And yeah, I mean, a lot of cops clearly misunderstanding it but a lot of cops have like punisher symbols on their on their you know tattoos or whatever you're not getting that with dread i think dread is more extreme for that and that's good yeah yeah exactly and i i will say that like um uh you know there's the the iconic line and i i thought it was delivered very well in this where it Mm. was like you know dread is addressing everyone in the building through some you know little Really ancient looking technology terminal. Yeah. <laughs> With, like, you know, the way Star Wars is like 1970s tech. This is like 1980s tech. And, and <laughs> even though it's in like 2080 right. is the setting. Right. Um, but he's like, Mama is not the law. I am the law. And and that's like, you know, his big thing that he says, you know. Right. Um, and I, I used to play a character in a role playing game who was like, the sheriff of New York or whatever. And he was a vampire. Um, and like, he, he was really into like the, the Anthrox song. Um, I am the law, you know, which is this judge dread thing. Um, but the funny thing is that the character was originally like as a kid was an anarchist in the Spanish civil war. And, yeah. and then kind of like became the fascist, you know? Um, and I think that, I don't know, that kind of, cycle like i feel like that's a thing you know yeah like like people people fight against the thing they're fighting against until they're the thing that they were until they are the thing that they were fighting against i mean i think like i don't want to go back over andor but i think andor has a couple of versions of that story in various ways Mm -hmm. absolutely also you put your finger on something that i hadn't quite figured out but that i think really kind of squares the circle that we're talking about and that i think you're right it's that the movie is being critical of policing, or at least trying to make some commentary and raise some questions about policing and the militarization of policing. I, and I think a lot of other people, have a critique of the role that the rah-rah cops kill all the criminals movies of the 80s and 90s, and then going forward today, but especially that period, had in contributing towards the cops are always good, criminals are always bad idea and so I'm kind of bringing that further. And you're right, that that part of it, this movie isn't engaging with. This movie is not trying to say that the that I'm in a genre of movies yeah. that have contributed to this thing that I'm critiquing. They're just critiquing the thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I'll also say, like, the movie's only 95 minutes long. Right, you, you can't know? do that much. Right, and I, I think it's a good choice. You know, I think, like, yeah. not every story has to do everything. You know, I think... I think you can try and, especially in terms of telling a coherent story, I think very often shorter is better. And Mm -hmm. I think often when you want to make a point, I think 
not belaboring it is better as much as I fail to not belabor points when I am just talking freeform. <laughs> We're going to try very hard to keep that. I think this podcast is going to come in under 95 minutes, but it might be close. <laughs> but no, I certainly I, hope so. I, I definitely agree. With, and yeah, we are about to wrap up. I just got one more big point we want to get into. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it's good that it's short. And like I said, I think it's good that it, it is a day in the life movie. Like, I don't get the sense yeah. that like this, this is obviously, I think like if, if, if you ask Dredd, like what are his 10 worst experiences? This is probably in the 10. Right. But this isn't the thing that makes him quit the force or anything like that. This is just, yeah. it's just one more day for him. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I actually get in, go ahead. No, it, I, I'm just agreeing. Yeah. So actually I want to get into Dredd a little bit as our last point. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back. Um, so, Paul, here's my last question. Can I get, we were just trying to get into it. Why do you think Dredd does this every day? Like, he's one of the first pe- – he starts out with a little bit of this hopeful statement about, you know, bringing order out of chaos. But very early on in his training of Anderson, he, you see that he's very cynical and jaded. He doesn't think this is going to do much good. He's just trying to, like, live through the day. Why do you think he does this? It's a good question. I think it's because it's what he knows, you know? Mm-hmm. It's what he's trained to do. It's what he's good at doing. And kind of like, what else is he going to do? I think is, is like basically just his motivation. You know, it's like, it's who he is. And that's why he does what he does. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. And in some ways, I think that's almost some of the most searing commentary of all of it. Is that one of the, one, and I think, again, this is what The Wire also really does well is that the problem with these systems is that when you're in the system, like, you just do what you do. You don't think of yourself as, like, like you are this fundamental force for justice or for injustice. You're just you're just trying to do your own little thing in this own little place, and you don't think about it much beyond that. Yeah. Because, like, if I went through this, I'd be like, hell no, give me a better job. Like, I'm not doing this. Right, but, like, looking at this setting, I'm sorry, what is that better job? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... And that's and that's the thing, and that's like why does K the 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 Wood Harris character do what he does? Well, because right. he lives where he lives, and like, what are his other options? You know, and I'm not saying either of them are doing the best thing they could do, but like sometimes just when you're in a situation, you're in a particular setting, and it's like it's like this is, you know, this is the thing, and yeah. there just aren't obvious better options you know even if it's like yeah well actually if you can get that good at a thing maybe you could get that good at another thing or maybe you could use those skills to do something different i don't know um and i think there are some you know within the the judge dread comics i think there is this i think like maybe he's got this complicated backstory and you know these family things and like there are big things about like what happens with the the whole system and i think there's a lot going on there overall and i right. think this movie was basically just like i i think it it had the self awareness that it wasn't going to be able to introduce the setting and tell a story about a big thing happening within the setting and instead chose to say okay we're going to tell a small story in this setting while introducing you to the setting, basically. Right. And even there, it leaves out what is presumably a big part of the setting, but maybe it's not, in that almost always when you have a dystopian movie like this, you do get to see the 1%. You know, you do get to see the people who are profiting from all these people living in misery and who 
on some level, the judges are helping to keep safe. Uh, the, the people in Elysium, you know, take the Matt Damon movie. That sure. Recently. So yeah. um, we don't get a word of that. There's not no. like it might be that this is how everybody lives. Right. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it's I, I, I again appreciate that because it's not like part of me would kind of love like a dread TV show. But part of me doesn't. I just like that. Like, no, we, we don't know all everything else. We just see this one little picture of it. Yeah. And like, I think if you wanted to do a TV show, you could tell the bigger story. Right. You could you could do the wire, basically. Right. And you could introduce you could have introduced all those other gangs that Mama overthrew. Right. And you could you could have some information about how, you know, the world got irradiated and like like are there people living comfortable lives somewhere? Right. Right. But like if you're doing a 95 minute movie or even if you're doing a two hour movie, like an extra 25 minutes isn't going to get you from like point A of like a day in the life to point Z, which is like a a big deal story. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, Paul, any of the last comments you wanted to make? Yes, Uh, this is like a huge topic that I don't necessarily want to actually delve deep into, but I I think the concept of mind reading in a law enforcement context is interesting. I don't know. I feel like the movie didn't really dig on that, but it it just kind of treated it kind of de facto. But it's like, huh, yeah, that that's that seems like kind of a big deal. It is. It really is. Um, Have you seen Minority Report? I have, yes. Yeah, I, I don't think that movie did a good job dealing with it, but at least it raised some interesting questions about it. Because um, Especially because to me, I think in the movie, we see mind reading by the cops used in two fundamentally different ways. And I think there's a huge ethical difference between the two of them. And you're right, th- this would be its own episode, but definitely worth exploring. And maybe we do something like about Professor X again about it, because that's where yeah. a lot of it comes from. Sure. But one of it is... You have had bad thoughts. You have thought about doing a bad thing, and now I'm going to take action as though you have done the bad thing. Or maybe like you're taking thoughts about planning to do the thing. And yeah, or obviously there's a lot of gray area there. But basically, like I'm going to punish you because of your thoughts. The second one being, your thoughts have told me that your actions are not what I thought they were. That they're not as bad as I thought they were, and therefore I'm going to let you off of punishment, as happens to the the tech guy. Mm -hmm. And I like that they show both, but you're right. There's a big ethical question. There's a lot of ethical questions because I think those two are so fundamentally different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like the idea, like, can a thought be a crime or like can a thought reveal that you you did some crime or that you did some crime under duress or whatever? Um, I will say Minority Report feels to me like a fantastic example of a movie that is trying to introduce a setting and be an action film and have a really big deal thing within that setting go down, and mm-hmm. I think fails on that account, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> I, know, be- I, I mentioned Elysium before, and to me, both of those are movies that really are talky movies. Like, I I don't care about big, flashy action scenes, and I think they right. take away from what those movies should be, and yet they both feel like they need to have them. Yeah, and, and that's that's always, I think, the thing. Like, if you say, I want to make an action movie, if you just start with that premise... And then you say, I want to make this big commentary or statement about such and such. I think you're already trying to do too much. And I think you basically need to say, I want to do this big action movie and I want to make this small commentary about such and such. I think you're good. 
And if you say, I want to make a big commentary about something and then have bursts of action, then I think you can do Andor, you know, um, which even I, I feel like actually does a really good job of not overtly commenting on things as much as showing things right in, in certain ways. But well, um, and well, also like Andor has significantly left. Like I've been rewatching Bad Batch recently and there, there's a fight scene in pretty much every episode. Yeah. And or like in terms of like ratio of screen time that is fighting the screen time that is not, it has got to be far and away the lowest of any Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And that was kind of my point was that because of the format, because it's this like new hybrid format where they basically made four movies and released them in episodes. And, you know, they basically decided we're going to have, you know, an action climax to a bunch of non-action movies basically and and so it definitely leans more on suspense and that's what i meant about like if you want to put that much characterization in well you just don't have room for the kind of action that like an action film demands right action movies just it's like there's there's like some contractual obligation that more than 50 percent of the movie has to be action right and you can only have so much it's kind of funny because the whole point of this podcast is to talk about the commentary that happens in action movies Right. And 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 what I'm saying is like, I feel like you only have time to do a little bit and make a few points and raise questions. Honestly, to me, that's the best thing an action movie can do in terms of trying to get people to think about things is raise some questions and make and and encourage people to think about things because you're going to have a lot more time to think about things outside of watching the movie than in the movie. And like, if the movie makes you think that's great. I think more thinking is better. So, you know, yeah, I think it's really true. All right. I think this is a good time to wrap up our main discussion. Paul, as always, thank you so much for being a part of this. We're going to go into our uh, Patreon only uh, last section in just a moment. But for those who aren't patrons yet, uh, let me just say, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, This is all part of The Ethical Panda, and you can find all the ways to contact us at theethicalpanda.com. Would love to know your thoughts. Would love to know your feedback. Have you seen Dread? Have you never seen it? What do you think about what we've talked about? Would love to hear from you. Uh, Find us on email, Twitter, TikTok, all those places. Just search for The Ethical Panda or go to theethicalpanda.com to find all the info. Paul is Zen Madman. You can find all sorts of stuff about what he's doing by Googling Zen Madman. But mostly, I just want to really encourage you, if you can, if you enjoy these podcasts, if this content is bringing something into your life, take a moment and take check out our Patreon page. Uh, the show, link will be in the show notes. It's also on our webpage. It really would be so helpful if you can just throw in just a couple of bucks a month to help support the work we're doing here. Uh, I love making these podcasts. It is expensive. There's a lot of expenses that go into it. There's a lot of things that I want to get to be able to help further improve the the quality of the content we we put out for you. Uh, and even just, you know, at the lowest level, you'll get um, there's different benefits that you can get, including some of the patron content, the all the patron content that we're talking about, bonus episodes and, and bonus content at the end of every episode. Uh, you can get ad free content, not have to listen to the ads every week. There's so many benefits you get. There's so many ways that you can help and support us. So please, 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 if you got that couple extra bucks a month and you, you really love this content, take a moment and just look, check out the Patreon Maybe it's not going to be for you. That's no problem either. But if you think it's worth it, would really love to have your support. If you're not up for that, 
Other great ways to support this podcast is leave us a five-star review wherever you like to leave reviews. Share it with a friend. Get other people listening. Help share what we're trying to do with this podcast and with my other podcast, Star Wars Universe Podcast, with other people. So on behalf of myself and Paul, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you could stick around for the bonus content as a patron, it'll be coming right now. And if not, thank you so much and have a great day. Yay!